0: Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The
1: Grim Curriculum.
0: Well, I don't even know how else to start this episode off other than by saying this is by far one of the saddest cases we've ever covered.
1: This is a tough one, there is no doubt about that. Today we will be talking about the Lawson family murders. This is our first time covering a case of family annihilation, and while these murders happened almost a hundred years ago, they still continue to shock us, even by today's standards. I was
0: vaguely familiar with the Lawson family murders uh, starting out when we decided to cover this, and I already knew it was going to be a pretty sad one right off the bat, so guys, just brace yourselves for that. This is a case I actually didn't know anything about. We found
1: it while we were looking for potential new episodes, and we both knew we absolutely had to do it. One of the main sources for this episode is the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas by M. Bruce Jones and his daughter, Trudy J. Smith. It was published in 1990, and it can be pretty hard to find, but if you can find it, I highly suggest reading it. I desperately want my own copy. It's no longer in publication, of course. Uh, This is one of my favorite true crime books that I have read in a really, really long time. And the neat thing about it is having the insight of Mr. Jones because he grew up in North Carolina during the Great Depression when this happened, and he had been fascinated by the case his entire life. So they were able to interview people who knew the Lawson family, which is really unique and it gives you a really interesting perspective into all of it. I could talk about this book all day. I absolutely loved
0: it. Well, we're about to talk about it for the next little while, so I guess we're going to buckle in for that.
1: And I got to warn you, this is like probably going to
0: ruin your day. Yep. So just brace for that. In case you were having like a really cheerful holiday day, you were doing your Christmas shopping, maybe save this one for a time when you can just sit and be by yourself. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. And you know what,
1: if you enjoy the, the jive parsley or a nice beverage or something, it's a good time to bring it out and settle in
0: because yeah,
1: things are about to get real sad.
0: While you listen to this episode, you may find yourself comparing it to our Hinterkaifeck series. And while it does share a lot of similarities, there is one main thing that stands out about this case. Hinterkaifeck was horrifying and mysterious, but like we said, the case of the Lawson family murders is just plain sad. That's the only way to put it. We aren't going to waste any more time today. Let's dive on in. On Christmas Day of 1929, Charlie Lawson killed his entire family except for his oldest son. He then took his own life only a few hours later.
1: The murders were
0: committed just a few
1: days after he had taken his family into town for brand new outfits and to have their photos taken for the first and last time.
0: There are many things that make this case both horrifying and incredibly sad. One of them is that, to this day, we don't exactly know what led Charlie Lawson to commit such a heinous act. Today we're going to be talking about who the Lawsons were and what their lives were like. We're also going to talk about some warning signs that were seen with Charlie leading up to the murders. There's a lot to go over, so let's get started.
1: Before we get into what happened on that terrible Christmas day, we really want to take some time to talk about who
0: the Lawsons were. Charlie and Fanny Lawson married in 1911. Together, they had eight children. Tragically, their third son, William, passed away in 1920 from an illness. However, their remaining seven children seemed well-adjusted, happy, and very much cared for.
1: Fanny was described by many to be a really amazing mom. She doted on her children and overall they just seemed like really joyful kids. She was described as very affectionate towards them and was often referred to as a sweet woman.
0: A lot of the interviews with people who knew her described her as being incredibly beautiful, too. She had dark hair and stunning green-blue eyes. Many people also talked about how Charlie was very much in love with her. Charles Charlie Lawson had two brothers,
1: Marion and Elijah. They were all quite close, so when his brothers moved their families to Germantown in
0: North Carolina, Charlie wanted to follow suit. Life back then certainly wasn't easy. It was kind of a weird time overall because some folks drove cars while others were still using horses and buggies. During the time that the families relocated, they did not have motorized vehicles themselves and relied on horses and mules pulling carriages and wagons.
1: Marion and Elijah encouraged Charlie to move his family to be closer to them because there were better opportunities for farming and therefore making more money. Optimistic for a fresh new start, the family decided to
0: make the trip. They filled their wagon with all of their belongings and a neighbor of theirs, Mr. Squire Watts, offered to help them out by filling one of his wagons with their remaining items and drive out with them.
1: It wasn't easy. The trip itself was only around 15 miles but the roads were incredibly rough. It had actually rained a ton recently and everything was covered in deep mud. Despite this, their spirits stayed high and they were really excited to arrive at their new home.
0: The trip itself wasn't supposed to take more than a few hours. However, they actually ended up having to camp out on the side of the road. They sat around the fire and ate some food Fanny had prepared for the trip. Despite the difficulty, they made it without any real issues. And we say that because Marion and his family had a very different
1: experience
0: on their trip to Germantown. His family almost died during their travels. It had rained prior to their trip as well and they ended up getting stuck crossing a river with their entire family. This included their children and grandparents who were all traveling in the wagon. It was so bad that the water was up to the mules' necks. The wagon had begun
1: to fill up with water They had to basically float along the river hoping that the wagon wouldn't sink or that the mules didn't drown. The entire thing was absolutely terrifying. So
0: when you compare Charlie's trip to that, it really wasn't all that bad. This whole thing gives me major Oregon Trail vibes. Yeah, absolutely. Right?
1: I know I mentioned it before, but I really want to cover the Donner Party someday, which is basically like the worst case scenario of what can happen in situations like this. I'd say all in all, even Marion's family was incredibly lucky despite how close they all came to literally drowning.
0: When they arrived in Germantown, they found a place to rent. It wasn't anything special, and it made farming incredibly difficult because they didn't actually own the house or the land. However, they worked hard and eventually saved up to purchase a large piece of fertile land with a cabin on it. The cabin
1: itself was in pretty rough shape, but they didn't seem to mind. They paid $3,200 for the 200-year-old house and made $500 a year mortgage payments on it.
0: They set to work as soon as they moved in and made the home their own. Fanny and Marie worked on cleaning the inside of the house, while Charlie and Arthur worked on the outside. The cabin was not winter-ready, so they put in some windows and patched up the gaps between the logs. Once they were done with the house, they
1: started to work on repairs on the barns. Tobacco was a popular plant to grow, and the land was perfect for
0: it. All they needed was a tobacco packhouse to store it in. Charlie got right to work and began to dig a basement for the new building. This required digging a drainage ditch, which he set off doing with a mattock. You might remember a mattock from Hinterkaifeck. Yes. It's uh, similar to like a pickaxe kind of thing. He swung back without realizing there was a fence right behind him and the mattock got stuck. Charlie reacted by trying to pull it out, but it recoiled and hit him in the forehead.
1: He was taken to the doctor for treatment immediately. He had severed blood vessels on his forehead, which caused extensive bleeding and left him with two black eyes. Luckily, the majority of his injuries were superficial. He was
0: patched up and sent along on his way. So here's where things get interesting. Some people who knew him say that he was completely fine after all of this, while others claim that he became a completely different person.
1: He would act like he was losing track of what was happening around him. He would also stop talking mid-sentence and just walk away. He visited his doctor numerous times because he had developed severe headaches. They were so bad that he started
0: to lose sleep. And it looked like when he was sleeping that that wasn't exactly a peaceful slumber. Fanny confided in a number of friends months before the murders that Charlie would often jump up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night in a very agitated state. He would insist that he had to check on the guns and would get up and wander around for hours. Fanny admitted that this scared her. This was very unlike her husband. The other thing that seemed to get worse was his temper. There isn't a ton of information about his overall demeanor before the accident, but it looks like he always had a bit of an anger problem. However, this worsened after the head injury. And as we all know, head injuries are no joke. When I was little, I fell and smashed the back of my head on concrete, and the resulting concussion caused me to go blind for nearly three days, because, fun fact, the swelling affected my optic nerve. It's horrifying. Yeah, it was... I remember my parents, because I didn't go blind immediately... So I went to the hospital, got patched up, came back, and my mom was like, okay, hey, we need to replenish your fluids. And I remember she went to hand me a glass of juice, and as she handed it to me, my vision just disappeared. And she's like, well, take it. And I was like, mom, I can't see you. And she just went, oh my god. And oh I, my god, yeah. that is horrible. And then about 48 to 72 hours later, my vision came back. So a head injury, like I said, no joke. A severe injury to the frontal lobe, as some of you might know, can have serious effects on a person's personality. There's also been studies on the link between head injuries and serial killers, so this is kind of a scary situation to be in. I remember you telling me that story, and that is honestly
1: just horrifying. (laughs) Head injuries are not something to mess with, and you are absolutely right about the serial killers. That being said, all of their head injuries happened during childhood. Richard Ramirez, Albert Fish, Ed Gein, almost all of the well-known serial killers suffered some form of a head injury during their formative years, which is a really interesting little fact. However, I can definitely see it changing him. It would be really hard for something like that not to change you, especially considering he barely got treated for it, they just sent him home. He was already a loose cannon and this just made him worse.
0: Speaking of Charlie's temper, one of the big things that is talked about in White Christmas, Bloody Christmas is an incident that happened at a tobacco warehouse in 1928 that confirms two things. Number one, Charlie Lawson had a very bad temper. And number two, he was not a nice man when he didn't want to be.
1: This happened in 1928. Charlie and Arthur had driven to Winston-Salem to deliver their tobacco harvest. They were both very excited and optimistic. A lot of hard work had gone into producing the highest quality plants
0: possible, and they were eager to make a fair bit of money for their efforts. They were walking through the busy warehouse, when a man who was pushing a cart full of tobacco accidentally bumped Charlie in the leg. The man pushing the cart happened to be a black man, and Charlie was apparently a terrible racist. He began to scream at the man, yelling racial slurs at him, and even threatening to kill him. The man was shocked by this behavior and ran away in fear. Charlie was
1: fuming at this point. He lifted up his pant leg and saw that a huge bruise was already starting to form.
0: This only escalated things. A few moments later, the man had returned pushing the cart the other way. Charlie apparently stood in the way of the cart with his hands on his hips, but was still bumped as the cart passed. And again, this was a pretty busy place. This wasn't some guy
1: chasing him around with a tobacco cart, it kinda just sounds like Charlie should have been paying more attention. The
0: second time the cart hit him, he completely flipped out. He lunged at the man and tackled him to the ground, beating on him. He once again threatened to kill him for what he had done.
1: The man pulled out a switchblade to defend himself with and started slicing at Charlie, cutting him badly
0: in multiple spots. He then ran away. Despite the fact that he had just been stabbed, Charlie got up and continued to chase the man. He was bleeding heavily at this point and eventually collapsed due to blood loss. This entire thing landed Charlie in the hospital
1: for two weeks. And again, this was before the head injury.
0: So maybe it just seems like he wasn't the nicest guy.
1: The book does a really good job at showing his two sides. There is another story in it where Charlie came in from working in the fields to check on Fanny while she was pregnant. She was incredibly sick during the time and he pushed her to rest. Many of their friends reported that he wouldn't even let her cook or clean, which for 1929 standards for a husband is pretty impressive. I gotta agree with you there. Right? But then apparently, right after that, he goes outside and he starts screaming at Arthur for not doing things exactly the way that he wanted. I know we haven't really covered any other family annihilators yet, but this is something that we see with, I'd say, almost all of them. They very much have that Jekyll and Hyde demeanor.
0: Something else that the book mentions that is very peculiar is that Charlie also began to develop a huge red mark on his chest. They describe it as being the size of two hands laid out side by side. He complained to multiple people that it was incredibly painful. It was
1: during this time that he was reported to have been chatting with a friend when he said,
0: I wouldn't mind dying if only I could take my family with me.
1: Okay, I don't know about you, Charlotte, but I honestly think there is more to this, Mark. I really wish the books explored it more and that any other source explored it more because it seems really weird to me. What was it? Was it related to his behavior? We don't know.
0: Well, I do have a theory, but I'm going to hold off on, I guess, spoiling it for now. Yes. Because um, it could be, it could not be. We'll, We'll see. And we've talked about your theory, and I think
1: there is... A lot, a lot to it, so yeah. I'm excited to see what yeah. people think we'll, about we'll it. we'll dive
0: into it yeah. later, for sure. At the time of the murders, their seven children ranged in age from 19 years old to just a few months old. Arthur, the oldest, was described as a tall young man who had grown into a physically capable young adult. He had a lot of Fanny's features, including her eyes, and was considered by many to be an incredibly handsome young bachelor. Arthur spent a lot of his time working on the farm with his father.
1: 17-year-old Marie was always happy to help with the younger kids and got along very well with those who knew her. She was well-liked by the other kids her age, especially the boys who were often spotted trying to get her attention. White Christmas, Bloody Christmas compares her looks to that of popular actresses during the time.
0: Carrie was 12 at the time of the murders. She enjoyed school and always tidied up after herself and spent a lot of her time playing with her younger siblings, especially 7-year-old Maybell.
1: Maybel was your typical girly girl. She loved to play dress-up and put on little performances. Her and Carrie would run around holding hands, and they loved to play together.
0: Four-year-old James and his two-year-old brother Raymond were both very fun-loving and mischievous. They kept everyone on their toes, including Fanny. The youngest was little Mary Lou. She was only four months old. The pregnancy had been incredibly difficult for Fanny. She had been pregnant during that summer, which had been an unusually hot one. She was constantly sick, and all of this had left her with very little physical strength
1: experiencing a complicated pregnancy must be so stressful in today's day and age and i can't even imagine how horrifying all of this was for her in
0: 1929 no kidding she had actually suffered a miscarriage just a few months prior to this pregnancy and even her doctors were worried for her charlie and the
1: kids helped out a lot a neighbor who visited often reported seeing the children all helping with the cooking
0: and cleaning while fanny rested in bed she seemed to be in good spirits Charlie cared for her during this time like any doting husband would. He even did her hair for her and would refuse to let her help with any of the housework.
1: Fanny gave birth in the hospital, which was not common during that time. However, due to the high-risk nature of her pregnancy, it was determined that this was the best course of action. When Charlie and Fanny brought little Mary Lou home, they found all of the children waiting on the porch to greet them. Marie took the baby and Charlie carried his wife into the house.
0: And this is the kind of stuff that makes all of this so much more shocking. Charlie, to most, seemed like an incredibly loving husband and father.
1: I found myself struggling with that the entire time I was reading the book.
0: It's always when you start telling the story about the family and you're like, oh, they seem really nice. And in your head, you're like, I hope everything works out for them. But as you know, that's not the case here. I
1: kept having to remind myself of how this was going to end. Because like, honestly, things didn't seem ideal, but they didn't seem all that bad. That being said, Charlie seems like one of those guys who is totally fine until he wasn't. Yes, he was incredibly sweet to Fanny, but a lot of people were scared of him, including her.
0: Yeah, and for good reason too, because he was well known by a lot of men in the area for his temper. That was the thing
1: about life during that time. Most people who lived on these farms didn't have a ton of neighbors around, but they were often very close with the ones that did live nearby. People didn't tend to travel much, so the people around you didn't change a whole lot throughout your entire life.
0: Not only that, most people understood how hard life was at the time. People were eager to help those around them, and neighbors often worked together to get larger tasks done. Women would often gather at one house and work on canning and making other preserves, while men would work on large harvests together.
1: They also threw huge parties to celebrate a job well done. It seemed as if everyone in the area got along pretty well. The Lawson children were able to make friends and often went on playdates and sleepovers.
0: One of the families that the Lawsons were close with were the Hamptons. Hill and Sadie Hampton lived nearby with their son who was the same age as Mary Lou.
1: As we mentioned before, Marion Lawson and his family also lived nearby. Stella Lawson, his daughter, was very close with the girls, especially Carrie and Maybelle. During the summer of 1929, she had a dream that shook her to her core.
0: Apparently in this dream, she saw Fanny carrying a pile of wood when two men ran up behind her. She was so startled that she was frozen in fear. They shot her and then made their way into the home, killing every member of the family.
1: She woke up crying and had to calm down before she could join her family for breakfast. She was so upset that she had to go back to her room and lay in bed for the rest of the day.
0: This legitimately upset her. She actually didn't tell anyone about the dream despite her sister begging her to tell her what was wrong.
1: It wasn't until after the murders that she told anyone about what had happened. By this point, she had considered the dream a premonition and had said that she carried guilt with her for the rest of her life over not saying something.
0: The weird thing is, is that she wasn't the only one to experience something like this before the murders. We'll get to another instance of this later, but it certainly is quite bizarre.
1: A little over a month
0: before the murders,
1: they actually threw a huge surprise party for Sadie Hampton's birthday. On the outside, everyone seemed happy and excited to celebrate.
0: Behind closed doors, things were very different. Neighbors reported hearing shouting matches coming from the Lawson home. Something really interesting
1: to note about these arguments is that the writers of White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, claimed to have interviewed someone who heard these arguments and knew what they were about. However, the person didn't want to say what it was because they claimed it was very sensitive information.
0: Whatever it was, it had gotten bad enough that people actually claimed to have heard Charlie threatening to kill his family on more than one occasion, When he got into one of these moods, it was almost impossible to calm him down. Fanny would do her best, but even she had no control over him. Things were
1: changing in the Lawson home. Arthur, once a quiet child, was now growing into a confident young man, one who wasn't afraid to stand up to his father. Witnesses reported seeing him physically subdue him quite a few times.
0: And it worked. Arthur actually ended up being the only person who could calm his father down.
1: And we want everyone to remember that detail because we're going to be bringing it up again a little later.
0: By the fall of 1929, the family had been busy preparing for the upcoming winter, which was predicted to be a cold one. The book talks about how Fanny spent a ton of time making new quilts for everyone that year. She had placed a brand new quilt on the bed of each child and had also made a new one for herself and Charlie. It was around this time
1: that Fanny confided in a neighbor about something strange that Charlie had said. Or rather,
0: she was worried about what he had not said. One night, he sat her down and told her that he desperately needed to talk to her. He then began to ramble on about how she was a good wife to him, but kept going on about how he needed to tell her something. She pushed him to
1: tell her what it was, but suddenly he looked at her and said he couldn't tell her. He reiterated to her that she was a good wife and then completely refused to talk to her about it. He then went to bed and left Fanny awake wondering what the hell had just happened. And this poor woman, like as someone with anxiety, this kind of thing would keep me up all night.
0: No kidding. I'd be like, oh hell no, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna tell me what you have to say,
1: sir. You wanna talk? We are fucking talking until we're done talking. Like this is a red oh flag. My God, a
0: huge red flag. I
1: can't help but wonder what she was thinking at this time. Like she was clearly worried enough where she knew she had to
0: tell someone about it. A lot of coverage of this case talks about what Charlie did as being completely out of the blue. While no one could have possibly predicted what he was going to do, it does seem like there were a few red flags. Exactly.
1: Hunting was a popular pastime for many of the young men in the area, and the land that the Lawson family owned was full of rabbits and other game. A few days before Thanksgiving, local Sheriff's Deputy William Gomer Burroughs asked Charlie if he could hunt on his land. Admittedly, William was a bit wary of Charlie. He had heard stories about his temper.
0: Charlie, who was a very skilled huntsman, told him that he had planned on hunting that day too and invited him to join. The two went hunting together and while William was iffy about saying much in fear of annoying or angering Charlie, he said that the entire thing was fairly uneventful and that he left that day feeling pretty good about the guy.
1: Again, this solidifies to me that he had two sides to him. I think a lot of people like this are smart enough to know how they have to behave around certain people, and I feel like Charlie was a lot more likely to be aggressive with someone he thought was less than him. I can imagine he knew how to show the deputy some form of respect. But at the same time, it says a lot that even a man who had a fair bit of authority was intimidated by Charlie.
0: I think it goes a long way towards saying that if a man who is a, the deputy sheriff is scared of Charlie, that Charlie's not someone to fuck with.
1: It's true. There's actually a fair few points in the book where they talk about how, like, he was actually worried about just saying the wrong thing and setting him off because he was known to be just, like, a loose cannon.
0: Jesus.
1: Alright, so now it's time to talk about the history of the famous family photo. If you've heard of this story, you've probably seen the photo of the Lawson family. Like we mentioned earlier, this was the first and only time that the family would be photographed
0: together. One morning, Charlie told Fanny and the kids to go get ready because he had a huge surprise for them. They were going to go to Winston-Salem for a family trip. They didn't normally
1: go out in the city together like this unless it was a very special occasion. Charlie told Fanny and the kids that they were going to get brand new outfits and have a family photo taken.
0: This was a huge deal. During this time, a lot of folks went their entire lives without ever being photographed. Not to mention the idea of brand new outfits during a time when people maybe owned a total of one or two sets of clothing, if they were lucky, was very exciting, especially
1: for the girls. Fanny questioned how they could afford something like this. Charlie told her not to worry about it and that they had the
0: money to pay for anything the kids wanted. Carrie and Mabel were absolutely ecstatic about the idea of a fancy shopping trip. Carrie had wanted a pair of silk stockings for a long time and was eager to see if her mother would finally allow her to buy a pair.
1: All of this seemed wonderful. However, Fanny was still skeptical. Charlie's mood had only worsened over the weeks and this seemed really out of character for him.
0: Despite that, the family got ready to go
1: on their big trip.
0: Arthur and Charlie set out to get the truck ready for the 45-minute drive. They built a bench in the back seat, and the majority of the family bundled up and sat there for the ride while Fanny and Charlie rode inside with the younger kids. Everyone was thrilled.
1: They arrived in town and went shopping right away. The girls picked out new dresses, and the boys got suits, which they all wore right out of the store. They then went to have their pictures taken. The more I learned about this case, the harder I found it to look at the photo because my eyes are always drawn to the little kids. They're just so tiny. Carrie looks so proud of her new dress. This was a huge deal for her. I wish the book had been able to talk more about their trip into town because I would have loved to know more about how they felt about all of this. They must've been so excited. But the book does a really amazing job of reminding you that these were people with hopes and dreams and it just makes the entire thing hit you so much harder. I honestly, again, I had to keep reminding myself of how all of this ended.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because it, it to me, kind of reads like something, like, I don't know if anybody out there remembers, like, watching the Waltons back in the day, or, like, Little House on the Prairie. It's like they're a family that are working together, they're farming the land, you know, it just seems all so promising. It really does especially like with Charlie kind of
1: being the exception they were a well-liked family and it's not that he wasn't liked people are just scared of him.
0: Absolutely. They had a lot of potential and it's yeah it's just sad. Once they had their family photo taken they changed back into their old clothes and rode home. Overall the family seemed to have had a wonderful time. Two days before Christmas
1: Mr. Borley Tuttle who worked at the hardware store in Walnut Cove saw Charlie riding his mule to the bank. Not much stood out about this trip other than the fact that he apparently had a really fun time watching Charlie struggling to get his mule to listen to him. We're unsure of what Charlie was doing at the bank that day, but it's likely that he made a withdrawal.
0: Christmas Day of 1929 started off just like any other day. Fanny woke up and began to make breakfast for the family. Charlie had purchased her a brand new wood stove that was much more modern than their old one. She was eager to use it. Stella Lawson's brother Sanders had spent the night, and Fanny wanted to start the day off and get everybody fed. That's something to keep in mind. A lot of sources talk about them being a fairly poor family,
1: but it doesn't necessarily seem like that was the case. Overall, they had nice things. At the end of the day, this was in 1929, at the beginning of the Great Depression, so people weren't exactly well
0: off. However,
1: it seems like compared to most, the Lawsons were doing quite well for themselves.
0: I mean, they owned their own home, they had vehicles and they were able to upgrade their things along with the technological advancements of the day. So that to me says they're doing okay. Exactly, yeah, they're
1: not they're not struggling, that's for yeah. sure. Something stood out about the Lawson home that year. Normally, Christmas decorations were all over the house, giving it a very festive feel. This year there was no tree, nothing was hung on the walls, and there were no presents for anybody. Again, this was not due to lack of money.
0: Charlie had promised the family a very special Christmas surprise and they were all looking forward to engaging in the festivities.
1: What they didn't know was that Charlie was planning on brutally ending all of their lives and his own later that day.
0: Marie was incredibly excited for Christmas. That evening, a local boy named Charlie Wade Hampton was picking up Marie and Arthur to take them to a local church program.
1: There's an author's note in the book that talks about how it was rumored that Marie and Charlie Wade Hampton were in love and that she wanted to marry him. Her father strongly disapproved of this relationship and she was not looking forward to telling him of her plans for the evening.
0: After breakfast, several men from the neighborhood, along with their sons, gathered on the Lawson property for a friendly game of target practice. Everyone seemed to be having an absolute blast. Afterwards, the men who were there said that Charlie seemed completely fine. They could not have been more
1: wrong. As time went on, the group began to disband. Eventually, they ran out of
0: ammo and only Charlie, Arthur, and Sanders remained. There was actually another young man there whose name we don't know. He was interviewed for the book but did not want his name mentioned. He's an incredibly important witness to this story though. Charlie asked the boys to walk
1: to Germantown to buy more ammo because they had plans to go rabbit hunting later. They happily obliged and they were on their way.
0: The young boy decided part way through that he didn't want to join the boys and headed back to the Lawson house. It was rumored that he, like so many other young men his age, had a crush on Marie. He was eager to see her and chat with her. When he arrived, she invited him to join them for cake after dinner. They chatted while she did her hair.
1: Meanwhile, Carrie and Maybel asked their mom if they were allowed to visit their uncle Elijah and his family for some Christmas activities. Fanny, knowing that Charlie would be mad about Marie leaving, pushed the girls to go. She hated when they saw their father angry.
0: Fanny had every right to be hesitant. Charlie saw Marie curling her hair and asked her where she was going. When Marie told
1: him, he absolutely forbade her from going. Marie argued with him. She was old enough to go out with her brother and a friend and was tired of being
0: bossed around by her dad. He had a huge issue with Charlie Wade Hampton and forbade her from ever seeing him again. She refused and he was absolutely furious. Charlie also found out that Carrie and Mabel were about to leave. He became incredibly agitated at this point. He wanted his family to all be there for the big surprise he had for them.
1: Charlie then went out to the barn. As we always do, we want to take a second and warn you all, this is about to get pretty graphic.
0: We know everything has been kind of leading up to this point, but it doesn't make it any less difficult to hear.
1: Carrie and Maybell had began to make their way to Elijah Lawson's house. In order to get there, they had to pass the barn. This wasn't a huge deal, and it was a trip that they had made many times before.
0: What they didn't know was that their father was now waiting behind the barn for them with two shotguns. As they walked towards the barn, Charlie
1: jumped out at them. He immediately drew the shotgun and shot Carrie. Maybel began to scream and he shot her as well. There was no going back for Charlie now.
0: He picked up a 2x4 and beat the two girls until it was clear that they were dead. He dragged their bodies into the tobacco barn where he placed stones under their heads. He folded their arms across their chests and closed their eyes. He picked up Carrie's little blue hat that she was wearing, now stained with her blood, and placed it back on her head. He then made his way back into the house.
1: Meanwhile, at the house, Fanny had realized that they were out of firewood. She told Marie and the young man that she was going to go outside to collect some. As she stepped out, she saw Charlie walking towards her with a shotgun in his hand. She asked him what was wrong, and he answered by shooting her in the chest. The shot blasted straight through her heart, killing her instantly.
0: Marie and the young man heard the shot and ran to the window to see what had happened. She instantly started screaming and the young man took off out of the back of the house. In the interview, he claims that he knew Charlie didn't like him and was certain that he would be next. He ran straight home. Marie ran out of the house only to see her father beating
1: her mother's face in with the barrel of the gun.
0: He has now done this with each of the people he has murdered.
1: And I wondered about why he would do this. I don't think it was a mercy thing where he wanted to make sure they weren't suffering. But at the same time, I wonder if it was rage and he just couldn't stop himself or if he was destroying their faces because he couldn't stand to see what he had done. But then again, it could have been both.
0: I think I lean towards the fact that he couldn't bear to see them look at him after I agree, what he yeah. had done. When Marie's body was discovered, she had quite a few defensive wounds, as well as a lot of her father's skin under her fingernails. It looks like she tried to run towards the fireplace to grab the poker, but Charlie grabbed her arm, pulling her towards him.
1: He grabbed her so hard that several ligaments in her arm were torn. He then shot her, killing her instantly.
0: James and Raymond, the youngest sons, heard the commotion and instantly knew something was wrong. The two little boys didn't fully understand what was happening, but they knew they needed to hide. James hid under a bed, while Raymond hid in a small spot behind the kitchen stove. They were terrified and couldn't help but cry.
1: Charlie followed the sounds of their cries. He pulled James out from under the bed and bludgeoned him to death. He then made his way to Raymond.
0: He tried to pull him out, but was unable to. Apparently, there was evidence that he tried to position his gun in a way to shoot Raymond, but couldn't reach him. And this part is pretty rough. If if it hasn't been rough enough already. Yeah. It seems like he most likely convinced his two-year-old son to come out to him before he killed him. His body was found just partway out of his hiding spot. This, like, a son of a bitch. This makes me so fucking sad.
1: I'm not gonna lie. I had to walk away after I read that. Like, the entire thing is obviously awful. Each of these deaths is incredibly tragic, but they were only four and two years old. Him luring out Raymond and then killing him instantly, it's its beyond sad. It's almost unimaginable.
0: Well, it's just horrible because your dad is supposed to be the person that protects you, yeah. not does this fucking evil shit. <sighs> the only child remaining was four-month-old Mary Lou. Charlie killed her in a similar fashion. He then pulled his wife's body back into the house.
1: He grabbed a pillow from the bed of each child and placed it under their heads. I have a million and a half questions when it comes to this case, so please don't mind me.
0: Oh, I think we all got Right, questions.
1: yeah. <laughs> but he did the same thing with Carrie and Maybelle, except he placed stones under their heads. He left them in the barn, so obviously he didn't have access to pillows, but I find it interesting that he took the time to do this. But I think at this point, there was just no thought process left anymore.
0: No, I think for whatever reason, Charlie has snapped, and whatever weird code he's living by is something that's not going to be understandable for any sane human I completely agree. We also want to point out that the unnamed young man who was there and ran off told his family about what had happened. They forbade him from going back and did not report what happened to the authorities. It would
1: be the Lawson's own family members who discovered the brutal scene. Elijah Lawson and his sons Fred and Claude had decided to go out and pay the Lawsons a visit. They wanted to wish the family a Merry Christmas. Oof. I watched the Deadly Secret series on the Lawson family murders and it's really interesting because they were able to share interviews with people who were closely involved with the case, including Claude. He was quite young when all of this happened and the interview is from a few decades ago, but he talks about how even as an old man, he doesn't understand how someone could have ever done something like this. He was never able to make sense of it and it seems like no one else has. Like, it sure as hell seems that way to me.
0: Elijah and the boys were initially confused by how quiet everything was when they came to visit. Usually, they could hear the sounds of the children playing as they approached, and more often than not, at least one person would run out to greet them. This time, there was absolute silence.
1: Claude made his way through the front door as his father looked through the window. What they saw would haunt them for the rest of their lives. The bodies of Fanny, Marie, Raymond, James, and Mary Lou were placed around the house. There was blood absolutely everywhere.
0: It was then that the silence was broken by the sounds of someone walking around upstairs. Fearing that the killer was upstairs, they ran away to get help. They found a close
1: neighbor, Bob Hurth, who told them that Charlie had sent Sanders and Arthur away to get ammo.
0: Claude claims that as they were running from the house, he turned back and saw an expressionless man standing in the window who he said looked like his uncle Charlie. And speaking of Charlie,
1: at this point, he knew what he had done and it appears that the next step was clear to him. He left the house through the back door with one of his guns and began walking.
0: Meanwhile, Arthur had arrived at the general store and was greeted with the terrible news of his family's murders. They left to go back to the house right away. Arthur was, understandably, inconsolable. It is said that he collapsed when he saw the bodies and had to be physically helped up after seeing his mother in particular.
1: Sheriff John Taylor arrived on the scene with Coroner Dr. Helsebeck. They roped off the house to stop anyone from getting in.
0: Apparently, a man offered $500 to be allowed to go into the house and see the crime scene for himself. Like, fuck you, dude.
1: $500, I also want to point out, was their yearly mortgage payment? A lot of money
0: in those days. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, can we just pause for a second? I know we've talked about it a lot with these old-timey cases, how people come to ogle the scene and, like, walk all over it and cause a mess and everything. But to be so brazen, to be like, hey, I'm going to give you a shitload of money to look at basically the last will and testament of your entire family oh my god the
1: audacity the absolute audacity audacity. quite a few people were at the house at this point and it's it's interesting to note that the book actually points out that those who first arrived on the scene knew not to tamper with anything this is a first for us are we
0: learning lessons oh my god they
1: wouldn't allow anyone else into the house because they didn't want to jeopardize the investigation
0: wow i know
1: for 1929
0: this is Amazing. Shocking, I have to say. The people who were with Arthur didn't want to leave his side. They were all very worried for him, and rightfully so. They took him to another part of the house while the bodies were moved to spare him the further trauma. It was also noticed around this time that Charlie was indeed missing. People were worried that he may have been taken and was also in danger. There were whispers, though, that he maybe had done it.
1: Either way, people were terrified. A group of men had arrived with guns, and they were eager to protect everyone from the killer. They actually formed a guarded perimeter around the house and all of the barns in order to keep them safe and to keep curious onlookers from going inside.
0: Meanwhile, a huge crowd had formed outside of the house. They had built a large bonfire in order to stay warm. As time went on, the crowd grew, and it began to get rowdy.
1: We also want to take a second to talk about a second strange incident that happened with a family member around this time. We mentioned that Stella had a dream that involved Fanny and the family being murdered, but Charlie's Uncle Joe experienced something very strange that day. Apparently,
0: he woke up that morning and was completely fine. He was having breakfast with his family when he was suddenly overcome with immense sadness. He began to cry, and this turned into him sobbing like a baby for hours. This was an elderly man in
1: 1929 who had lived an incredibly hard life. He was not one to show his feelings, and he certainly wasn't the kind of person who would openly cry in front of his family.
0: At around 2.30pm, the family was notified of the murders. Joe Lawson stopped crying the second he heard the news and wanted to go help right away. The family left and arrived on the scene shortly after.
1: Again, I have questions. Why was he crying? Did he have a terrible gut feeling? Did he know something? Was this maybe something that he had been worried about? I really, really wish that we knew. This, along with the dream that Stella had, made me wonder if Charlie's temper was so bad that members of the family, including a young girl, were worried that he would do something one day.
0: Perhaps, uh, like we mentioned before, when Charlie told Fanny that he had to tell her something but then couldn't, you wonder if maybe he had confided in, in Uncle Joe, and maybe Uncle Joe knew something. Maybe, and that's, Or, yeah. maybe it was just a shit act and the energy fucking ricocheted through the community and everyone was like, ugh, what yeah. the fuck was that? it's so hard to say. The authorities that were there were mainly focused on finding Charlie at this point, so the bodies were left alone. Everyone was absolutely heartbroken by what had happened, and whether he was a victim or a potential suspect, they needed to know where he was. The Hamptons were the ones who ended
1: up properly covering them up, and they even began cleaning. Again, they were very good friends of the Lawson family. This must have been so incredibly hard for them.
0: Sadie used sheets from her own home to cover their bodies, and Hill used a flat-edged shovel to scoop the blood into a bucket. There was a lot of it, and at this point it had formed large pools. We can't stress
1: enough about how terrible this crime scene was.
0: Hill Hampton took all of the blood that he cleaned from the house and buried it outside. At around 5 p.m., hearses arrived to take the family away because of the snow they were unable to get to the house so those who were there built sleds to pull them to the vehicles a friend of the family carried the body of baby mary lou
1: the book talks a lot about how bad the smell was apparently a lot of the onlookers wanted to help with the bodies but when it came down to it barely anyone was actually able to help without getting violently sick i mean a lot of blood blood has a pungent it sure. smell does it was reported that after Mary Lou was carried into the hearse, the man carrying her threw up. They actually talk in detail about the smell and the fact that she was left near a source of heat. It's legitimately some of the worst stuff I have ever read. I literally read that part, and I messaged Charlotte to, like, yep. warn her about all of this. <laughs> yep. I was like, hey, it's bad. It's, it's real rough, guys. Yeah, Sorry about that. I um, think you got a few messages from me this yes, week that you were like that. certainly did, yeah. yeah. And I
0: was like, oh, man. And like, yeah. I knew it was bad, but I didn't quite know it was, yeah, you know around this time, a shot was heard. Everyone stopped what they were doing, and a group ran in the direction of the noise. It brought them to a deep thicket of pine trees where they found Charlie Lawson's body.
1: And another horrible detail that just broke my heart was that they found him with his two dogs who were crying so loud they actually used the sounds of their cries to find him.
0: Oh my god, did he traumatize the dogs too? Seriously, yep. (sighs) They were beagles. Oh, sweet, sweet boys. Charlie was found laying on his back. Steam was still rising from the wound. He had taken his own life. It was then that it became very clear. Charlie Lawson had killed his family, and then himself. The
1: family was taken to be embalmed, and it was around this time that Dr. Taylor, who had come out from John Hopkins University, examined Charlie's brain to see if there were any abnormalities. Despite everything that had happened, and his head injury, his brain was completely fine.
0: Or, I just want to say, at least up to 1929 standards. Right, anyway. I, I, or I wish we could have I guess. another
1: look at this brain nowadays.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder if it was preserved or if they just got rid of it this after. This was back when they were losing people's heads, they probably lost that. That's true, tape. that's very true. Newspapers reported a crowd of up to 5,000 people at the funeral, they interviewed people who had family members there in the Deadly Secrets documentary, and they confirmed that there were cars, wagons, and horses everywhere. The funeral line was miles long.
1: The family was buried side by side along with Charlie. And listen, if you kill your family, you don't get to be buried with them. Yeah. Like, just I... saying, I hate that for them. I can't imagine being buried next to your father who killed you.
0: I think there is at least some comfort, hopefully, in the fact that they don't know that. Yep. But I agree. It pisses me off, though. Fuck that guy. hmm Arthur was never quite the same after the murders. I think we can all understand that. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of people who were very worried for him and he spent the majority of his time staying with various family members. He felt immense guilt about leaving that day and told numerous people that if he hadn't left his family they would still be alive and that's one of the big mysteries that goes along with this case. Why did Charlie leave Arthur alive?
1: I have a theory here I don't think it's
0: that big of a mystery
1: and I tried really hard to find another source saying that this is why but this is truly what I believe. Arthur was the only person that could calm Charlie down. When he stood up to his father he would actually back down. This wasn't the case with anybody else. So Charlie didn't want Arthur there because he knew that he would probably either stop him from doing what he wanted or he would kill him in self-defense. It's really simple you guys. Charlie was a coward. And he didn't want to have anyone there who actually stood a chance against him. That's what I think. I
0: I think there's absolutely something to that. Especially, like you mentioned before, how it seemed like he lost his shit on people that he deemed less than him. Whether less strong, more vulnerable. So, like you say, when confronted with someone who would actually stand up to him he probably wouldn't have been able to do what he did. And
1: if you look at the photo of the family and you compare size-wise Charlie to Arthur, they're the same size. Mm. It's He actually would have been able to take him in a fight, I would say.
0: Well, and you even said it yourself that multiple times Arthur physically subdued his father not just talked him down but physically subdued him so
1: yeah anyways they say that's a big mystery when it comes to this case but I think that's what it is and I stand by my thoughts I could be wrong for all I know but it makes sense to me
0: yeah absolutely Arthur was clearly left with a lot of unresolved trauma but the death of his family had also left him with a ton of debt luckily his uncle Marion had an idea
1: Marion sat at the front of the house with a small box and charged people 25 cents to see both the house and the spot where Charlie killed himself.
0: That's right. So for only a quarter, people could walk through the house and see the blood that had stained the floorboards. Apparently, the cake that Marie had been baking remained and people actually began to pick pieces off of it to eat. That's very hinterkaifek. Right. They then began taking the raisins off of the cake as some sort of weird souvenir. Eventually, Marion had the cake covered up. It stayed on display for the entire time the tours were going on, which was five years. Isn't
1: that gross? Murder (sighs) cake. Like, I'm sorry, if I saw cake in a murder house, I wouldn't be like, oh shit, let's eat the cake, guys. Again, like,
0: if you you go back to, like, bad energy, bad vibes, whatever you want to call it, whatever your idea of the spiritualism is, I feel like that cake probably had absorbed a lot of... Yeah, bad vibes. You wouldn't want to eat it. Absolutely not.
1: Especially not, like, steal from it. Like, I feel like that's the other thing, too.
0: I just... Just don't. Don't (sighs)
1: fucking do it. If you're gonna get haunted,
0: you're gonna get haunted Mm -hmm. for stealing raisins off of a murder cake.
1: Yep. He made a ton of money doing this. People came from all over to see
0: the house. It was reported... Immersed in the clotted blood on the living room floor where the five bodies were found was a little Christmas poem... Most of its words had been blotted out by the red stain oozing over it, but the large number of curiosity seekers who passed through the death chamber today could plainly make out the words, Santa Claus. That's dark. That is, again, with the, I don't know, the morbidity and just like... Guys, an entire family—well, short of Arthur—the entire family died. It, it,
1: it always is interesting to me because a lot of people believe that there is this true crime fascination now, mm-hmm. and that this is something that is something that's just become popular now, yes. and is only something we talk about now. Why are people so interested in it now? We see this again and again with these old cases. We saw it here. We see it with Ken Hinterkaifeck. We see it all the time. People have been obsessed with this stuff forever.
0: Yeah, and I think because death is in itself the biggest mystery, right? It is, What comes after, all this stuff, and I think it's sort of a human way of somehow trying to deal with it. It's true, and I mean
1: 1929, where else were they going to go?
0: True, very true.
1: (laughs) There are no remaining records of just how much money Marion made from these tours, but he gave Arthur $31,000 after they were over, paid off all of his debts, and also bought him a brand new car.
0: $31,000 in those days? Yep. Pretty penny. A few years after the murders, Arthur met and married Nina Bibby, and together they had four of their own children.
1: The marriage was not a happy one. Arthur struggled with what had happened to his family and the guilt that he carried with it. He developed a serious drinking problem and was very argumentative and angry when he drank. Family members, especially younger ones, were advised not to talk to him about the murders.
0: There must have been a part of him that was worried that he might do the same thing. You know, I never thought of that. Yeah. And you know what? I could definitely... Like, how
1: could that not scare you? The other thing, too, is um, a lot of their kids were named after family members, mm-hmm. middle names, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I could definitely see why having kids of his own would probably be scary to him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sadly, on May 5th, 1945, Arthur Lawson would also lose his life. He was driving himself and a friend home from a night out and was intoxicated. He hit a road barricade and was thrown out of the car. The passenger survived thanks to the help of a good Samaritan.
1: Arthur was buried just a few feet away from his family.
0: The house wouldn't be torn down until the 80s. It's said that people tried to live in it, but it was just one of those places where you felt uncomfortable the second you walked in.
1: I don't blame them. Mm -mm. I wouldn't want to live there. They literally never got the blood out of the floorboards. No. No, No, thank thank you. you. Mm -mm.
0: There are actually some reports of the grave site being haunted, as well as the building where the embalmings were performed.
1: 28 Days Haunted on Netflix has an episode where they do explore this. I tried to watch it. I'm not going to trash them, but I couldn't do it. I made it maybe five minutes. Um, If you want to learn more about the Lawsons, read the book or watch the documentary if you want like a legitimate source of actual information.
0: Like we said in the beginning, this is by far one of the saddest cases we have ever covered. And that, I mean, given the subject matter we do cover, that's saying a lot. And it's still somehow an understatement. The thing that makes it really stand out is that we still don't know what caused Charlie to kill his entire family.
1: A theory came out with the publication of White Christmas, Bloody Christmas that seems to have offended quite a few people who are connected to the Lawson family,
0: which is very fair. It was rumored that Marie Lawson could have been pregnant, the father of her child, Charlie Lawson. Big yikes.
1: However, one of the main people who said this was Stella Lawson, who was quite young during this time. She claimed she overheard her mother talking about it and her mother claimed that fanny would talk about the pregnancy openly and that she was absolutely devastated i do want to point out there is one review on amazon from the book from someone who claims to be a family member saying that this is an absolute lie i can see why people would have a hard time wanting to accept this and i have to stress there's no proof of this but it's one of the main theories and that's the one thing in 28 days haunted they lead by saying that marie was pregnant Oh, and it's not even
0: like a confirmed... It
1: wasn't confirmed. Yeah. It was never, you know, they there were autopsies done, all of that. It was never confirmed that she was pregnant. And I think that's something that if it was rumored, they would have looked for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that would be something that would be very obvious in an autopsy. Yeah. So another theory is that Charlie was involved in some kind of criminal activity and that a hit was put on him and his family. However, there's no proof of that here either. So, this just leaves us with
1: a lot of questions, and Charlotte, while we were talking about this case, you brought up a really interesting theory that I really want us to talk about.
0: Okay, so here's the theory that I mentioned earlier, and I, I, when I first thought of it, I immediately looked it up, because I was like, surely I can't be the only person to have thought of this, and so if anybody out there has also thought of this, please let me know, because I want to talk about it, but... If you remember, somewhere close to the beginning of this story, we talked about how Charlie had this big red mark on his chest. This got me to thinking, like, why would this be relevant? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, maybe it was just eczema, but like, eczema or eczema, however you want to pronounce it, while fucking maddening and painful and itchy, probably not enough to cause a person to murder anyone, let alone their entire family. So I started thinking a little more into it something that affects the brain that could also cause skin issues. Immediately, as it often does, syphilis came to mind. We talk about syphilis so much. Have you ever noticed that? I feel like it's come up a few times, honestly. For legitimate reasons. For sure. So syphilis, as many of you might remember from sex ed class, can cause skin lesions and not just on your genitals and things like that, but all over your body. So it made me wonder if... Because Charlie said that this was a painful thing, which indeed, lesions can be. Um, As well, syphilis in late stages can affect the brain. So I did a little bit of research because I was like, well, I don't really know what syphilis lesions look like. So I did some Googling. As I researched, I came up with this. Asymptomatic neurosyphilis means that neurosyphilis is present, but the individual reports little to no symptoms and does not feel sick. Meningeal syphilis can occur between the first few weeks to the first few years of getting syphilis. Individuals with meningeal syphilis can have headaches, stiff necks, nausea, vomiting, and sometimes there can also be loss of vision or hearing. This makes me think of Charlie having terrible headaches, Mm -hmm. walking away from people mid-sentence like he couldn't hear them anymore, Um, also, like I said before, the symptoms can start right away, or they may lay dormant for years. So this could be something that just came up, as well as with the head injury to the frontal lobe, if that caused swelling in the the meninges, which is that layer between your brain and your skull, which is what gets swollen with the syphilis, what if that was affecting his personality, too? And, you know, it's interesting because when you told me that,
1: I was like, oh, shit. Again, we have talked about syphilis many times throughout <laughs> this A shocking amount well, of time. Well, and the other
0: thing is, too, is for the time period, penicillin hadn't been discovered yet. Or it wasn't at a point where it was publicly uh, in use and antibiotics is one of the main cures for syphilis and
1: syphilis was incredibly common very
0: much common especially if you think of like say the jack the ripper case or anything like that so my theory is this is a little long-winded sorry guys no i love it i love it. But my theory is that perhaps whether however he contacted it contracted it that is beside the point but what if charlie had syphilis and he was trying to tell fanny about it but he couldn't bring himself to do it and slowly, it was making him go nuts. And he clearly had a secret. Like, there's... that That's fact. He
1: had a yes. secret. He had something that he wanted to tell her, but he just couldn't. And it was big enough where it seemed like it tortured him. And yes. it scared her.
0: Yes, absolutely. So whether or not it was syphilis or if he had some kind of criminal activity, or whatever the case was. At the end of the day, we will likely never know what caused Charlie Lawson to take the lives of his wife and all but one of his children. Any remnants he left of a suicide note made little sense and he never talked to anybody about what was really going on with him.
1: What I do know is that this case is going to haunt me for a while. I'm glad that we talked about it because I think it's an important part of true crime history, but I always hate not having an actual answer and resolution, and I think that's what bothers me the most here.
0: I've all the unsolved ones, and I mean, this is unsolved in a different way. We know who the killer is. We just don't know why.
1: And, and that's what I think changes, because, like, with unsolved murders, unsolved mysteries, whatever, there's always that glimmer of hope that we're gonna find yeah, out. Yeah, and
0: I know we mention it a lot as well, but, like, they're solving cases all the time. All
1: the time, all the time, but this, we're we're never gonna know. No. We're just not gonna know. Not
0: unless someone has some kind of crazy deathbed confession, because at this point, yep. this is nearly a hundred years ago. Yep. You know, we're not that far away from a century ago, so...
1: You know, I think sometimes people do fucking horrible things, and we have no reason for it, and that's what makes this so tragic.
0: We really appreciate you guys tuning into this one. I know it was a little heavy. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we highly suggest maybe a Mothman or our latest Christmas Monsters episode to help you forget about everything that you just learned. You know, for what it's
1: worth, I find this case fascinating. Oh, it is? I had an amazing time researching it. I had I like I said I had to put the book down a few times but at the same time I couldn't put the book down like it just it really captured me it really got me I I think this is one of those cases where I have felt really close to this one, and I think that's why it hit me so hard, but it's, it's rough.
0: It's, it's always the ones with the kids that really get me in the heart every Mm -hmm. single time. Oh my god, yeah. Because they don't know what's going on. They don't. Again,
1: we hope you guys enjoyed it, we hope you learned something, and uh, yeah. Sorry for traumatizing you guys.
0: That all being said, we also have some pretty big news. We have officially opened a merch store. Woo! The link is in all of our bios, but you can still find us on Etsy if you just search us, The Grim Curriculum.
1: Right now we have stickers and magnets, but we have some keychains on the way along with a few other fun things.
0: And thank you so much to everyone who has already supported our little storefront. Y'all are amazing. Yeah, seriously. Speaking of support, don't forget you can get access to a ton
1: of extra content on our Patreon. We have weekly videos, monthly bedtime story
0: episodes, and more. As you all know by now, our grim VIP tier on Patreon gets a special shout out at the end of each episode. So, as always, a giant thanks to Mayhem Mudkip, Brian, Hillary, and Lisa. Yes, thank you all so, so much. Until then, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter.
1: We're also on TikTok and Facebook, so go look us up. And we're also available on most podcast platforms. You can find us on social media ourselves. We're going to link our personal socials below along with some other fun links
0: like we always do. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been The, the Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. And a little winter tip for you. Don't eat yellow snow. Bye. Bye.